The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second live episode of the Demand Our Access podcast. I want to thank those of you who are listening today in Zoom and those of you listening on ACB Media. I really appreciate your support. Um, Just for a little background information, this podcast is dedicated to helping folks with disabilities learn about our legal rights and how to enforce them. Uh, Moving forward, the third episode of this podcast will be live on ACB Media on January 7th, and then we will do the first and third Saturdays of every month. I will stop the pre-recorded portion to take questions at um, a certain point in this pre-recorded portion, and then I will take questions at the end, so there will be plenty of time to ask questions. I want to thank the ACB community folks for allowing me to do this and helping me reach a wider audience. And with that, I'm going to start the pre-recorded portion of the presentation. As a preliminary matter, I want to begin by telling you a little bit about me. I'm doing this because I think it's important for people to know a little bit about the person who is presenting to them. If you were here for the first episode of this podcast, this will be a review for you. But I'm going to do it in each of the first three episodes so that new listeners can learn a little bit about me. I was born blind. I am a member of the American Council of the Blind. Currently, I live in Portland, Oregon. Oregon is the fifth state I have called home. Some of my interests are I love animals, I'm a huge sports fan, and I'm an avid reader and writer. Qualifications. I have a law license from Massachusetts. I have been certified as an ADA coordinator by the ADA National Network and the University of Missouri. And I'm a certified professional in accessibility. Professional background. Currently, I am the disability analyst in Portland Parks and Recreation. Prior to that, I worked as the ADA Title II Policy Analyst for the City of Portland. Several years ago, I worked as a contract attorney for disability rights advocates in Berkeley, California. And before that, I worked as a staff attorney for what was then called the American Bar Association's Commission on Mental and Physical Disability Law, in Washington, D.C. Presentation Roadmap. This is a list of topics that we are going to cover in today's presentation. The Code of Federal Regulations, Defining a Public Entity, Project Civic Access, ADA Coordinator, Notice of Rights, Grievance or Complaint Procedure, self-evaluation, transition plan. Now, I want to pause and say that 
That may sound like a lot of information, but in order to effectively advocate for yourself, whether it be filing complaints or asking for an accommodation, you do not have to memorize all of this. I am doing this so that you are familiar with these topics when we get into episodes where we are actually practicing filing complaints and asking for accommodations. I believe it's important to have an idea of what the law says, but you don't have to know everything. You can look it up by the section of law, as I said, and we will go through how to do this kind of advocacy in future episodes. So let's start with the Code of Federal Regulations. The law does not often contain all of the things that are required to satisfy the law. Congress regularly directs federal agencies to promulgate, or what we may call develop, the law requirements. Under the ADA, several federal agencies have developed what it means to comply with the law. When a federal agency establishes what constitutes compliance, those requirements are published in the Code of Federal Regulations. When I cite to a section of law, either during these episodes or on the Demand Our Access website, I will almost always be citing to the Code of Federal Regulations. Often, the Code of Federal Regulations is referred to as CFR. When I refer to a section of CFR, I'm referring to a section in the Code of Federal Regulations. Defining a public entity. A public entity is defined in 28 CFR Section 35.104. Section 35.104, in case you're interested, is a listing of definitions under the ADA. The definition of a public entity has three parts, and it's primarily the first two parts of this definition that interest us. Any state or local government, that's the first one. And the second one is any department, special purpose district, or instrumentality of a state, states, or local government. The third part of the definition of a public entity is the National Railroad Passenger Corporation and other commuter authorities. Now those other commuter authorities are described in other sections of the law, but we don't need to get into those because for our purposes, what we really mean is that all of your train, bus, your paratransit, all of those services are covered by Title II of the ADA as long as they are instrumentalities of local governments and that kind of thing. 
all public entities with at least 50 employees should appoint their own ADA coordinator and have their own grievance or complaint procedure. Most local governments, if they have an ADA coordinator at all, do not have one in every agency or department. Project Civic Access. Project Civic Access is the primary way the Department of Justice, DOJ, enforces compliance under Title II of the ADA and Title I of the ADA as it relates to public entities. It has conducted audits of communities in all 50 states, Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico. It has done more than 200 audits of communities for compliance in total. The agreements are posted online to help communities come into compliance with the ADA. The settlement between DOJ and the City and County of Denver, Colorado is representative of what is typically covered. The settlement includes notice, grievance procedure, ADA coordinator, physical access to facilities, web accessibility, and emergency preparedness. Now I'm going to take a pause and see if we have any questions. So I'm back live if we have any questions. Do you have a hand in Zoom? Just one moment. Okay. Don, you may, Bilvich, you may unmute. I'm sorry if I said that name incorrectly. It's okay. It, it's okay. You wouldn't be the first one. It, it's Bill Puck, by the way, for future reference. Um, so you said that these agreements are posted online, Jonathan. So how, my question to you for now is where do we go to find them? How do we find them? What formats are they available in? And what's the procedure, if there's any, to going to go and get them so we can see what's what? The easiest way to find them is to search Project Civic Access, just a simple Google search. Um, it's, in my experience, always the first result. All of the settlements can be found on the page. You can sort the finding in chronological order. Um, you can look by state. Um, they're all there. They're all easy to find. They all follow, especially the ones in the last 10 to 12 years, a very similar format. Uh, and they are good examples of what your community should be doing. Um, and if there is one against your community, it gives you a good idea of what your community has agreed to do. 
Okay. So I, so, so you can find it. So, so I could go to Ohio and I could see if there's one against Troy where I live. For you example. could look at, yes, absolutely. It's all there. It's easy to find. You, you would have no issue doing that. I, d- I don't believe, but if people have issues with project civic access navigation, we can certainly demo that in a future episode. Um, and I will now use that as an opportunity to say, if you have any comments, you can write to me at Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at demandouraccess.com, or you can go to demandouraccess.com, and you can fill out the accessible contact me form, and uh, I will get back to you. How often are they updated? How often is Project Civic Access updated with new complaints? As often as DOJ settles them, which is not often enough. Um, They (laughs) do not have enough staff. Um, And so when you think about it realistically, they've done 200 of them. There are, you know, thousands of communities in the country. Um, So the reality of it is it's not given nearly the financial support and resources that it should, which is why they say that they're posted online to help communities come into compliance. They're supposed to be models for communities, but my experience tells me that most communities are not familiar with them and make little to no effort to follow them. Doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) Thank Um, you. You're welcome. Do we have any other questions in Zoom or in Clubhouse? None in Zoom. Do we have any in Clubhouse? Do we? Should I just go back to the recording? Yes, sir. I, I guess I we'll guess do we that for that. now. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure where Clubhouse went. <laughs> okay. We'll go back to the recording and there will be another chance for questions at the end of the presentation. Okay. With the questions over for now, and there will be another chance to ask questions at the end of the presentation, so don't worry. Let's discuss the ADA coordinator position. Information about the requirements for an ADA coordinator to provide public notice of rights and to provide information about grievance procedures can be found in the ADA Title II toolkit provided by the Department of Justice. Now, the Title II Toolkit is a bit outdated. It was published about 15 years ago, but a lot of the information is still applicable, but it does not cover all of the things that we would want to see local governments do today. The requirement for an ADA coordinator is established in 28 CFR section 35.107a public entities with at least 50 
employees must designate a responsible employee. Most people refer to the responsible employee as an ADA coordinator. The ADA coordinator is supposed to investigate and resolve complaints filed under the ADA and to ensure compliance with the ADA. The law does not specifically list any qualifications an ADA coordinator must have. Every public entity with 50 or more employees is required to notify the public of the name and contact information of their ADA coordinator. Notice of Rights. The Notice of Rights requirement is established in 28 CFR section 35.106. The notice requirements apply to all public entities regardless of the number of employees. The notice should include the following employment, effective communication, reasonable modifications, no surcharges, filing complaints. The notice should be published in all facilities on the website and should be included in event notices. The notice must be available in alternative formats, so you should be able to request the notice in Braille, large print, email, whatever format basically would make the notice accessible to you, you should be able to get from a public entity. Grievance Procedure the grievance procedure requirement is established in 28 CFR section 35.107B. Every public entity with at least 50 or more employees is required to adopt and publish a grievance or complaint procedure. The grievance procedure is to allow for the prompt and equitable resolution of complaints filed under the ADA. The Department of Justice sample grievance procedure calls for the following. The complaint should be filed in writing. It should include a date and a description of the problem. It should be submitted by the grievant or their designee within 60 days of the alleged discrimination. There should be a meeting between a representative of the public entity and the grievant within 15 days of the complaint being received by the public entity. And there should be an appeals process. If you don't like the original determination, you should be able to say, I don't agree with that, and you should be able to appeal it to a more senior position. All correspondence related to the 
grievance procedure should be available in alternative formats. So again, the whole process needs to be accessible. If there's an online form, it's supposed to be accessible. If there's a document that, that is emailed, it's supposed to be accessible. If you have trouble filling out the form, they are supposed to help you do that. Self-evaluation. The self-evaluation is an examination of a public entity's activities, programs, and services for accessibility to people with disabilities. The self-evaluation requirement is established in 28 CFR section 35.105. The deadline for completion of a self-evaluation was January 26, 1993. It is required of all public entities, regardless of their number of employees. People with disabilities must be given a chance to comment on the self-evaluation. If a public entity has more than 50 employees, the self-evaluation must be available for public inspection for up to three years after its completion. The self-evaluation documentation should include a list of people consulted with, facilities inspected, and a description of the accommodations made through the self-evaluation process. If a self-evaluation was completed under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, it is sufficient and did not need to be redone for a public entity to achieve compliance with the ADA. There is no requirement for a self-evaluation to be updated. Before we move on, I want to really talk about those last two points because they are major reasons why, in my view, and again, this is just my opinion, the ADA has failed to live up to its reported promise. And that is because if someone did a self-evaluation under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, in 1980. They have not had any requirement to update that self-evaluation since then. And we all know how different the world is than the world that existed in 1980. There was no internet. Public transportation wasn't what it is in many communities today. Basically, the world has changed a lot in 42 years. But the law has not forced public entities to re-examine their activities, programs, and services for accessibility to people with disabilities. And that is a real shame in my view. The law also, by not requiring a self-evaluation done under the ADA to be updated, has created many of the same problems. Because if a community did a self-evaluation, let's say in 1992, there was no internet. Again, the world has changed a ton. 
And the law has, in my view, really failed the disability community in this way by not requiring an ongoing examination of the accessibility of activities, programs, and services. Now let's look at the transition plan, which is our final substantive part of this podcast today. The transition plan is a public entity's schedule to remove physical barriers that must be removed to achieve what is called programmatic access. The transition plan is established in 28 CFR section 35.150D. Public entities with 50 or more employees must complete a transition plan. Transition plans were to be completed by July 26, 1992. All physical barriers to accessibility were to be removed by July 26, 1995. A transition plan should include the following. Identify the physical barriers. Describe how the physical barriers will be removed. Set forth a schedule of barrier removal and identify the person who will be in charge of ensuring compliance with the transition plan. Now, I want to be very clear about this. I am not aware of a single community that has followed the self-evaluation and the related transition plan requirements under the law. To my knowledge, and I hope I'm wrong about this, there isn't a single community that has fully removed all of the physical barriers to accessibility. The vast majority of communities, sadly, have not done a self-evaluation and many do not have a transition plan. If you want to find this out about your own community, contact them. Go to their website. See if they have any information about their self-evaluation and or their transition plan. I think it would be very interesting if people started contacting their local governments and saying, where is your self-evaluation? Where is your transition plan? Where is your notice of public rights? How do I file a complaint? That's why we're here. That's why we're doing these episodes, so that more people can hold their local governments accountable for what is in many instances really heinous and ongoing violations of our civil rights. Because the ADA is a civil rights law for those of us with disabilities. This will conclude the pre-recorded portion of this presentation, but before we go, we will have time for questions. There are no questions in Zoom at this I'm time. I'm back. Do we have any questions?
There are no questions in Zoom at this time. Um, Clubhouse? Uh, can you guys hear? No, there aren't any. Okay. Questions. I will uh, make a couple of announcements and things while we see, give people a few minutes, see if anybody wants to ask any questions. Um, the next episode, as I said, will be on January 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern. In that episode, uh, we will be dem demoing how to access the Code of Federal Regulations, what they look like, um, and I think some of you may be surprised at some of the accessibility issues we will find and the violations of the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines that we will find. But nevertheless, you can gain access to the information if you want to, and I'm doing that in part so that you will be able to check my work and find out that what I'm telling you is is, is real. Um, I'm, I'm trying to be very transparent about this stuff because I really believe in my heart that the more of us who understand our rights and the more of us who are willing to um, act on our rights and enforce our rights, the better it is for all of us, as I said in, in the first episode of the podcast. I also want to tell you that the pre-recorded portions of the presentations, so what you just heard, are available as a podcast. If you go to the Demand Our Access website, you can listen to the first two episodes, because those are the ones we've done so far the pre-recorded parts, and under the media player, you will see subscribe links. Right now, the podcast is available through um, Google, Amazon Music, um, TuneIn Radio. Uh, I'm trying to get it in. I'm working with Apple Music and Spotify. I don't have those done yet. When those are done, they will be added. There's also a page in the navigation menu where you can go in and find all of the different subscription options. And in case folks um, aren't familiar with blogs and this kind of website, in the next episode, we will also do a little look around the Demand Our Access website to show people what that looks like and how it works and what information you can find there. Um, so do we have any questions at this point? Not in Zoom, no, sir. Okay, do we have any questions in Clubhouse? One moment, Dawn has raised her hand again. Sorry, just one moment. Hey, Dawn, you may unmute. Okay, um, I have a question about the uh, podcast stuff. Um, where are the Q are the Q and A sections going to be podcasted in any way, shape, or form? Because no. I ask because I'm writing stuff down as we, as as you talk. So I'm trying to figure out where I need to focus my writing and note taking. No, the Are Q &A they going to be posted anywhere? To, at this point, no. Um, okay. If I can work that out later with ACB, where there's a method of doing that, I'm open to it. But at this point, the podcast that you can get through Amazon Music, um, Google, and so forth. Um, is only the pre-recorded portion, the portion that I have created and the portion that I have controlled. Okay, so there's not, it's not even on the, so the Q&A won't even be on the YouTube channel? N uh, no, I don't have control over that content. 
So okay. um, if I can work that out with ACB Media, I'm certainly open to it. Okay. Um, but ACB is a, is a good partner, and I'm not attempting to do anything that we haven't mutually agreed upon. Okay. So. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> do we have any other questions? Not in Zoom. Well, everybody's uh, making house. it easy for me this, this week. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's a good sign. I hope it means I'm being... <laughs> But again, if you have any questions or comments, please write me at jonathan at demandouraccess.com or fill out the contact me form on the website. I will get back to you. I will read everything that comes in. This is really our podcast. I, I'm doing it because I want us all to have more rights and more ability to participate equally. Um, so please let me know what you think. Um, and I again, our next episode will be January 7th at 2 p.m. Um, the pre-recorded portion will be a little longer during that episode as we will be covering. Um, uh, I'm going to read a post uh, about disability equity that I think might be interesting to some people. And we're going to demo the Code of Federal Regulations and the Demand Our Access website. Um, and then in episode four, um, just as a sneak peek ahead, which will be on January 21st, we are um, looking at putting together our first complaint. Uh, so that may be interesting to folks. Um, Sir, you do have one more hand that has come up okay. in, in the interim. Please. Area code 317, ending in 317. You may unmute. Yes. Is it permitted to ask a question about a specific possible area of discrimination? And if not, would you please indicate in what program we could bring up what I consider to be a really serious area of discrimination in the healthcare field? I appreciate this. I'll attend as many of these as I can. And uh, I don't want to ask an inappropriate question. Yeah, so, and I am going to put a disclaimer on the podcast um, very soon. Um, this, these podcasts cannot give individual legal advice for obvious reasons. Um, I am a lawyer by trade, as I said, so I have to be very careful to stay in the code of ethics. Um, and obviously, these I hope these podcasts reach as many people as possible, so we really don't want confidential things out there either. No. So these podcasts are not designed to give people individual legal no. rights. I can tell you that if you have a, a healthcare specific issue, you can start by looking at, at and like I said, asking your healthcare um, provider or the, the entity you're talking about what their ADA complaint policy is. Um, it'd be interesting to know if they have one. <laughs> um, you can also file with the Department of Justice Office of Civil Rights. Uh, we will be going through the steps on how to do that in a future episode. Um, and this is a good time for me to, to pause and say, I'm doing the podcast this way. I, I know people want to jump right into complaints and things like that, but I really want to lay the foundation because when we get to the complaints, um, I really you know, sincerely believe that this will make sense because when we put together a complaint, we really want to mention sections of law that are being violated. Um, and so it's important to establish that foundational 
piece. Now, as I said in episode four, we are going to look at a complaint, um, and I'm going to break that rule a little bit because I don't think the one we're doing is related to what we've talked about so far. And I kind of want to demystify the process of filing complaints and showing folks that it's not as um, difficult and scary as maybe some people think. As I said in the first episode, if you want to go back and listen to that, I have done a number of these in my life. I have actually been somewhat successful. Um, Sometimes I get nowhere with it, to be honest. That's the nature of the beast. And that's why the more of us who do this, the more of us who comment, the more of us who hold our public officials accountable, the better. Um, and just to touch back on healthcare, healthcare is actually a Title um, Three issue if it's a if it's a business. Um, and so we haven't touched on that yet, but you could still look into what their um, complaint policy is, and you can still take that up through the Department of Justice Office of Civil Rights. Sure, I filed an internal complaint. This is a national agency. I wanted to know if there's a way. Repeat your email address. I think this is a national problem. I I didn't name the agency. My email address. Proper complaints, any other layperson. Um, My my email address is jonathan at demandouraccess.com. And if you write me there and you tell me what agency you're looking for, um, I can direct you as to where you should go. Um, but even Thank through you. email, I, I cannot give um, legal advice. I have to stay very clearly on that side of the line in doing these episodes. Do we have any other questions in Zoom or Clubhouse? Yes, in Zoom, we have another question. And Viva Lorenzo, I, I may be pronouncing this incorrectly. I apologize. One moment. Um, I'm so sorry. There's no questions in Clubhouse uh, right now. I'm having okay. some. Can you hear me now? Yes. There we go. There we go. You. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, I was just wondering uh, uh, when you said that uh, places were supposed to respond to things promptly. If they're you know, take prompt action. Is there a definition of prompt? Because, <laughs> you know, one man's prompt is yeah, not necessarily and, another man's prompt. And government's prompt is always not anyone else's prompt. Uh, but as I said, um, you know, their DOJ guidance is that they give you some kind of a response um, within 15 days of accepting your complaint. Uh, so I can only speak for um, the ones that I'm familiar with. So if you know, like with Portland Parks, I'm trying to implement one now. Um, and the, the idea is that when we accept a complaint um, within 15 days, you should have the opportunity to meet with me um, and voice your concern and we'll talk about it. Um, and then, um, but, but yeah, that how people define prompt is always different. 
Um, a lot of entities do not have um, their own complaint procedures. Um, so you should definitely look at that, look at your local community to see if they have one. Um, and uh, just for a moment, I'll give a, a shameless plug. Um, if you have an issue that you think would be interesting and is not super confidential in nature, um, and you're open to airing a, a specific complaint um, and having us walk through that on the podcast, definitely let me know that now. Um, as a caution, we we cannot do very many of these. And right now we're focusing on Title II, which is local governments. Uh, but if somebody has a good one or somebody has an issue with their aid government not having one or an entity within the government not having one, um, perhaps we could turn that into a demo on the podcast. So again, send me your ideas and thoughts. Any more questions? None in Zoom. Okay. Then again, I want to thank the hosts, uh, Don and, and Jane, I believe, uh, or Deb and, and Jane, sorry. Um, I want to thank you for helping me with this today. I want to thank Cindy and Colby and the folks at ACB Community for helping me get this on the air. Um, I want to thank Desiree for helping me edit the uh, pre-recorded part and teaching me how to do that. <laughs> Uh, and I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of their holiday season, and we will reconvene, reconvene on January 7th at 2 Eastern. And in the meantime, you can feel free to visit the Demand Our Access website, and we'll talk with you all in a few weeks.